0: my house burned down in the forest in California. So I am a victim of climate change. So I don't have pink glasses, right? I know the reality of climate change. But at the same time, I think that hope and positive thinking is a self-fulfilling prophecy. So if we don't do something about it, it's gonna be catastrophic. If we do something about it, it's gonna be hard, but the chances of succeeding are, are high.
1: This is episode number 11 of the Net Zero Life. I'm your host, Nathan Svee, and today on the show, we're speaking with Diego Saez-Gil, CEO and co-founder of Pachama, a startup working to restore forests to solve climate change. Pachama has a great product that has attracted investments from Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, and Y Combinator, and their customers already include Microsoft, Shopify, and SoftBank. We've talked about carbon credits before, but I'm still trying to understand how they should play a role in my net zero life. There are two pathways to remove carbon from the atmosphere. One is through nature and the other is through innovation. In episode number nine, we covered one possible innovation through Heirloom's direct air capture technology. Today on the show, we're covering nature-based solutions. Nature-based solutions rely on plants' natural ability to suck carbon out of the air through photosynthesis. Pachama uses a variety of innovative technologies to increase the number of carbon credit certified forest projects. Since their founding in 2018, Pachama has protected the equivalent of 2,628,329 soccer fields. Diego grew up in northern Argentina, at the tip of the diverse rainforest covering most of South America. After a decade building technology companies abroad, Diego returned to his roots and traveled to the Amazon rainforest, where he saw with his own eyes the devastating impact of deforestation and began exploring reforestation as a means to fight climate change. Diego moved to California and joined forces with Tomas, a fellow Argentinian and a machine learning engineer who was thinking deeply about the role technology could play in protecting and restoring Spaceship Earth. The two partnered to create Pachama in order to restore nature to solve climate change. So in thinking about today's episode in the context of the rest of Season 1, one could easily come to the wrong conclusion, which is that reforestation isn't a big deal. We've spoken with people who help cut back the carbon we emit, people who are themselves removing carbon from the atmosphere and people who are taking carbon and shoving it into the ground. All of these are alternatives to planting trees, aka reforestation. But in truth, reforestation is an enormous tool for humanity, and that's why I'm thrilled to have Diego on today to talk about Pachama. Diego told me that reforestation alone has the potential to bring us two-thirds of the way back to where we were before the industrial revolution. That means that reforestation alone could remove 200 billion tons of carbon from the atmosphere. So yeah, there'd still be 100 billion tons of carbon left in the atmosphere, And yes, we have more work to do besides removing carbon. But 200 billion gone is a hugely important number. So without further ado, Diego, welcome to the show. Diego, thanks for joining today. Hi, Nathan. Thank you so much for having me. I thought we could start by talking about a book. Uh, I heard you talk about it on one of your other podcasts, but Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari is one of my favorite books, and personally, it's because it gave me a framework for looking at humanity's place in the world and then made me yeah. reflect on mine. And so I'm curious, did it affect your origin story or Pachotma story in any way? Yeah, for sure. Uh,
0: it, it was a very influential book for me. And I think that one of the main ideas that, um, that that made me reflect deeply about humanity and how to produce change in the world is this idea of uh, fictions Uh, or collective imaginations that we share and that uh, then we forget that they are just ideas and such as countries and money and institutions and and certain set of beliefs that we uh, forget that they're just at some point we decide to agree on the existence of this fiction and they're very useful, very, very useful because that's how We human beings, uh, Yuval says, were able to transform the world and rise up to the top of the food chain. But they can also be a hindrance when we attach too much to them or when we forget that they can be changed to address new challenges in civilization. So I think reflecting on, on that idea of fictions and collective imagination and the fact that companies don't exist, institutions don't exist, countries don't exist, they only exist on the collective uh, consciousness, you know, made me reflect on how we could create new systems and new organizations and engage existing organizations into solving climate change. And with that, do you ever think
1: about climate change in itself, the narrative of climate change falls into the the framework of a myth?
0: Well, (laughs) There's also science and science is a a way of knowing the world that has proven to be very effective, which is we observe phenomena on the material world and we repeat experiments over and over. And we come up with laws that uh, describe the way that the physical world works. And it's true until we can prove something else. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, uh, scientific theories are in a way narratives and, and, and fictions because it happens that then a guy like Einstein comes along and kicks, uh, the table of, uh, a previous paradigm of how do we understand the universe and then quantum physics come along. And, and again, we have a new change of paradigm, but we know that gravity exists. And if I drop this object, it's going to fall. Right. Uh, so. That is the case with climate change. With climate change, we are observing that there is more CO two in the atmosphere than there was, you know, fifty years ago and hundred years ago since we've been tracking. And we can observe on geological evidence uh, in in rock formations and in trees, uh, you know, the concentration of CO two for the last thousands of years. And we can, you know, feel very very confident that we have. Exponentially increase the, the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere. And we observe that temperatures are rising. And we observe that the ice caps are melting. So, you know, the the narratives and how do we talk about climate change, yes, is a linguistic construct, but the reality of uh, uh, chemical and physical change in the planet is is undeniable. Have you
1: always felt this way? I, you know, a little bit about your origin story from what I was able to read is you started two companies prior to starting Pachama. One was a, a backpacker-focused company, mm-hmm. and the other was a luggage technology company, right? Mm-hmm. Has your climate consciousness come up recently? Have you? Has it mm-hmm. always been
0: a part of your identity? You know, since I was in high school, I became ecologically aware. Uh and and in fact my first entrepreneurial uh, adventure was uh in high school proposing with a group of friends to build a garbage recycling plant for our town in Argentina. And we went all the way to to go visit an, a, a recycling plant in another city very in Patagonia, very far away from where I was from, and then you know studied and prepared a, pr- a project and proposed it to the mayor of the city. And we were 14 years old. Um but then I, I went into, into college. I, I do remember in college reading for the first time about climate change, uh, some papers, and getting very depressed for one or two weeks uh, about the future of the planet. But then I finished college. I went to do my master's in Spain. I had to get a job. I was an immigrant in Spain. I got a job at a consulting firm. Then I wanted to come to the US. I came to the US to do an internship. I needed to pay my rent in New York City. I you know, got you know, this internship, then I wanted to start a project. I started a project that was this mobile app to book hostels. I was very passionate about travel, but I guess I didn't have the self-confidence yet to say, well, you know what? I actually can work on solving climate change. I I didn't have that, that self-confidence. I was again, an immigrant in the New York, I barely spoke English. I was broke. (laughs) I didn't have any connections. The idea of starting a company was really insane. Um, so I, I, I feel in a way that all the things that I did until Pachama were stepping stones for me to to gain confidence and to gain the skills to then be able to say, you know what? I think I can start a project with a mission of helping solve climate change.
1: You mentioned getting depressed while reading climate change uh, climate change articles. I can definitely relate to that, mm-hmm. but I feel like as a a founder for you, I'm curious for you, as a founder of a like a, a climate tech company, I think you have to be an optimist. Yeah. So how do you do that? How do you like maintain your optimism while reading the news constantly and and really fighting the problem at at the in the heat of the battle?
0: Yeah. You know, I'm gonna quote two uh thinkers that I admire a lot. One is Eduardo Galeano. Uh um, a poet and a writer from Uruguay. And he said that I'm optimistic and pessimistic, depending on the hour of the day, right. (laughs) About humanity. Uh, but mostly I am optimistic. I got to say, um, and the second person I'm going to quote is the former president of Uruguay, Pepe Mujica, who is also a great philosopher. And he says, you know, I'm optimistic about humanity because I feel it in my belly. I feel life, uh, inside of me that wants to thrive and, and, and exist and regenerate and, 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 and expand, right? So life that doesn't, the characteristic of life and nature is an incredible resilience, uh, against all, uh, odds life thrives and, and, and evolves and regenerates. And we are life, right? We humanity are part of, of the wave of nature. And, uh, that's what gives me hope feeling that, that we will figure it out like we have before. Um, but you know, i at the same time, I'm a realist and I know that the next two decades are going to be hard. My house burned down in the forest in California. So I am a victim of climate change. So I'm, I'm not, you know, I don't have uh pink glasses, right? I know the reality of climate change. But at the same time, I think that uh, hope and positive, positive thinking is a self-fulfilling prophecy. So if we don't do something about it, it's going to be catastrophic. If we do something about it, it's going to be hard. But the chances of uh, succeeding are are high. And
1: I think the narrative part of climate change is what's so powerful. Because as you said, like the collective consciousness for me, one of the things you've all talks about in *Sapiens* is the fact that the the world is moving to more uniformity, uh, right? We're using like a same currency, our languages are becoming closer, we're adopting more similar political systems. Mm-hmm. And when I look around, I think climate change and the really the fight against it is something that like, permeates every single country's consciousness, uh, yes. and,
0: and it's yes. truly inspiring. That is absolutely uh, something I agree with. I remember uh, Isaac Asimov, the science fiction writer, mm-hmm. he used to propose that he, he he said that what united the United States was the exploration of the West, right? Because, it, you know, again, remember the United States had a civil war between the North and the South, but then they had in common the West. We can go together to the West. And then he used to propose that the exploration of space could be what we, w- would unite humanity, Because the only way to to unite consciousness is if we have a a common mission, right? Uh, But I happen to believe that the climate change is that that mission, right? Because climate change is an existential threat that affects every single nation. And uh, it can be this this common mission that unites us all and that makes us all feel that we're one team. Um, So I think that is a really positive thing that climate change provides. And then, yes, we can go explore the stars, but before... We have to take care of our home.
1: Yeah, right. Provided that we explore the stars with like a certain set of principles, uh, you know, that doesn't Correct. affect them. Correct. Can you explain Pachama and, and Pachama's mission in a nutshell?
0: Yes. So Pachama is a platform that allows companies and individuals to support forest restoration and conservation as a solution to climate change. For large corporations, they can come to us and they can access portfolios of, uh, carbon credits that they can use to, uh, achieve their climate goals. And for individuals, you can just go and decide to support a forest or a mini portfolio forest and subscribe to supporting a forest. You put your credit card on the website and off you go, uh, to offsetting your climate impact. Uh, in the other side, we drive all that money to really effective uh forest restoration and conservation projects that we verify and monitor using satellite data and machine learning what percent of the money goes to those projects the vast majority of the money goes to the projects to the people on the ground we take a small fee uh, as part of uh of the connection of the parties
1: and so, within the fight against climate change, Pachama is focusing on one aspect, right? As I understand, which is like really the proliferation of nature-based solutions. Mm-hmm. Do you see that as? And then I'm going to ask you to kind of explain nature-based solutions for fifth mm-hmm. grader here in a second. But but before that, do you see nature-based solutions as a pathway or the pathway that mm-hmm. all countries should adopt?
0: No, I think that is a pathway. There is a lot of things that we need to do, and you know, it, it's so easy on the climate solution world to uh, trash other solutions and say this my solution is better than yours, right? <laughs> but no, we need everything. We need to number one, we need to stop putting CO2 in the atmosphere. We need to stop burning fossil fuels, and we need to stop burning methane, and we need to, uh, you know, transform all the economic activities that cause the CO2 emissions that we continue to put in the atmosphere. Um, Number two, we need to remove the CO2 that there is in the atmosphere. And today, the safest, most scalable, more multi-beneficial, and affordable way that we have to do it is to protect and restore nature. Uh, Forests, oceans, peatlands, and even agricultural lands have such an enormous potential for carbon sequestration. Those ecosystems have been sequestering carbon at massive scale. In fact, they are the ones who have produced oxygen so that we mammals can exist on the planet, right? So we need to let those ecosystems regenerate. And and, and we have to keep in mind, uh, we used to have twice as much forest as we have on the planet today. But humans, you know, since industrial revolutions, we have taken down half of the forest coverage. Um, the oceans are losing a lot of uh, carbon because you know coral ecosystems are dying, and uh, you know we're we're basically decimating so many ecosystems on on the coasts. But they can recover, and they recover quite fast when you let them, uh, I and mean, if you keep that kickstart and, and help help an ecosystem get kickstarted. Uh, it can actually very quickly grow and sequester enormous amount of carbon. And I mentioned multi-beneficial because then there is a benefit of protecting biodiversity, which is another enormous crisis that we're facing a collapse of uh, species. Uh, it generates incomes for local communities and very vulnerable communities around the world that are going to be highly affected by climate change. And, and finally, those ecosystems actually contribute to the water cycle and to the weather cycle on the planet, right? So, forests, for example, uh, have evil transpiration, which is basically transpirating water into clouds that then go and produce rain somewhere else. Which is everything is interconnected. So, when you're protecting a forest, you're actually kickstarting a, a, a feedback loop that is that is positive for the planet. So. Nature-based solutions are essential in that sense, but they are just one. There is other forms of artificially sequestering carbon from the atmosphere, and there are several teams working on that. And that's an important thing that we need to explore because we might have to use all types of solutions. Um, but yeah, I think that we should uh, look at all the solutions and be investing and working on them.
1: Yeah, we had a, the privilege to interview Heirloom Carbon, which is mm-hmm. another San Francisco cool. yeah. right, more, I guess, falls into the, the artificial or accelerated uh, carbon mm-hmm. sequestration. And for them, I asked, you know, does the does Heirloom technology, right, which is carbon removal, does it give humanity a license to pollute? Uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, they had a. A great response. And and I'm I don't I don't feel the same way about nature based solutions because I almost feel like it's the right thing to do regardless. Mm-hmm. But is you know, so one of Pajama's missions or part of the Pajama mission, correct me if I'm wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Um is, is restoring nature. And yeah. so
0: is that in itself enough to prevent climate change? No, it's not enough. As I said, we need to move away from fossil fuels. We I mean it, it's just the math doesn't work. In fact, even with even, even if we were to stop climate change today, even if we were to start reforesting massively the planet, we still have climate change. That's important to, to, to put out there, right? We are on a pathway to more than 1.5 degrees warming of the planet, which is already going to cause a lot of destabilizing phenomena on the planet. Uh, so... By no means uh, anybody should believe that just restoring nature is going to be enough. And in fact, I would say that restoring nature and moving away from fossil fuels is not enough. What we need to do is we need to redesign civilization to create a stable state civilization for the second part of the 21st century and for the future. Um, just business as usual is not going to uh, get us to a stable civilization. We talked about this in our virtual
1: coffee chat beforehand, but you're leading mm-hmm. to me into a perfect question, and um, you know I, I do promise we're going to get back into pachama and um, the nature-based solution piece. But you talked about reorganizing society, and um, you know one of my favorite books that I've just read is the The Wizard and the Prophet, which is an mm-hmm, environmental mm-hmm. history book, mm-hmm. and you know the wizard is the, the technological innovator who believes mm-hmm. that humanity can increase like its carrying capacity on the Earth infinitely without affecting the world. And the prophet mm-hmm. is the one who argues that's not the case. Like We have to like, change our ways and yeah. like, fix humanity. I'm so
0: curious. Where do you personally fall? It's just like within yeah. those two
1: frameworks, and I'm happy to explain them in more detail.
0: Yeah, I think there is uh, probably uh, an in-between. Uh, because I am a big believer on technological progress and innovation. I am a big believer on the uh, expansive nature of life and nature. Uh, I, I, I I am excited about uh, a very futuristic, uh, technologically advanced civilization that is exploring the stars. But I'm also a realist and I know that uh, in a limited system, you cannot grow and extract indefinitely. That's just basic math. Um, and that the system that we're running today, that is basically, I think the most central flaw of the system is the accounting system. We are not accounting for the destruction of the substrate of the system. Right? So, uh, we measure GDP and uh, market capitalization and revenue of companies uh, and countries in a way that it doesn't reflect the environmental cost and the, uh, the cost of the things that are not renewable on the, on the system. Right. So it is obvious to me that if we keep running like that, the system will collapse and and there's many studies that have been done by economists and ecologists and and engineers that prove that that th- if you can continue running the system it's going to collapse and in fact uh the prediction is that it's going to collapse this this century um so i think we this is a typical there's so many dichotomies uh on the minds of people this is a typical case in which we have to converge and we have to put technology and innovation at the service of a circular sustainable economy. Um, and you know, the, the, the innovation is not going to be only on, on technology as traditionally thought in the sense of, you know, bits and bytes or electronics and mechanics, but it's also going to be societal technological innovation. We need to design new systems, new ways of, uh, Distributing, generating, and assigning resources. So the 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 innovation is almost sociopolitical um, and, and ecological too. Uh, I I am of belief actually that technology, this is the way I think about it. Nature produces humans, humans produce technology, therefore, technology is a product of nature, and therefore technology is at the service of nature. And now it comes a moment in history in which technology really finds its true purpose, which is to create a sustainable planet.
1: Diego and I are about to get into LIDAR. Search an image of LIDAR online. LIDAR creates an image of a forest like you've never seen before. It's colored beyond just the regular browns and greens and maple and red, and it's got blue and teal and bright, bright pink. And you see where the trees have been removed, and you see where the saplings are growing, all in a computer rendering that makes it feel like you're part of the matrix or something. We talk about a lot of technologies on the Net Zero Life. Many of them are hard to visualize but with LiDAR, you can actually see the technology. It creates an amazing image of what we're trying to do, which is to prevent climate change. Pachama in particular is kind of a confluence of many new technologies. Lidar, which I don't understand at all, um, deep learning, artificial intelligence, drones. How did how did they, one? Can you just talk a little bit about those things? Kind of explain to people who, including me, who are not familiar mm-hmm. with them. How did you become aware of those technologies? And and you know, where in the nature-based solution problem did you see that they fit and could produce uh, a more equitable world that tackles climate change?
0: Yeah. I guess let me explain each of these technologies and then uh summarize on how they come together. LiDAR is basically um, a technology that through a device uh shoots a beam of laser that then goes and bounces back when it touches an object and then is read again by the device in such a way that then now you have basically a line of distance from the device to the object. So in that sense, it's very similar to radar or to sonar, right? Except that LIDAR is with laser. Now there are these devices who are shooting thousands of uh, of beams of laser uh, at the same time and turning around and therefore producing a three-dimensional scan of an environment. And this is what self-driving cars are using. You might have seen the, the self-driving cars that Google has with an object that is turning and turning on top of the car that is a LIDAR. And then if you go and Google self-driving cars LIDAR, you will see how they they create this uh, digital twin of reality with a three-dimensional shape that is changing all the time. So now imagine that device attached to an airplane or to a drone and flying an airplane on top of a forest and shooting those lasers on the forest. Now you can produce a three-dimensional shape of the forest with the shapes of the trees. and Again, if you go to, to, to Google or to YouTube and, and, and type uh, LIDAR forest, you will see these beautiful scans that are starting to be produced of the forest. Then machine learning. Machine learning or artificial intelligence, machine learning is a technique of artificial intelligence, which is the ability of algorithms to, to learn and to then uh, produce a result, which can be, for example, a prediction uh, about something, and uh, you might be familiar with how Facebook and Google and Apple know that our faces are us, and it's, it's kind of uh, uh, you know scary to, to think, but with enough data, an algorithm starts to learn characteristics and features of an image, right? And then make a prediction, this face is Nathan, right? In the same way, that technique can be applied to data coming from satellite images or from LiDAR data. So then an algorithm can start to predict, oh, I see that there is this shape in the forest and therefore there's this amount of carbon because I have learned that this is the way that volume and carbon correlate on a forest. And then, yeah, I mean, finally, well, drones. Drones uh, are these amazing little devices that fly on their own uh, thanks to the fact that we have, you know, super mini computers uh, living on them that can stabilize the 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 movement of the of the drone uh again thanks to real time computing uh sensors and and data so all these technologies and and the ability to store giant amounts of data on the cloud thanks to cloud computing all these technologies are converging so that th- today we can measure and monitor ecosystems with an unprecedented level of accuracy in almost real time so that with that data, we can ensure the conservation and restoration of those ecosystems. And you can only protect what you know. And these technologies allow us to know uh, forest and nature in a way that we never were able to do it before. So you asked me how I became aware of these technologies and how I decided to put them together. Well, with my two previous startups, I, I, we were using some of these technologies and I always been fascinated by technology and reading a lot about the latest advancements. And, and I also believe that innovation comes when you combine things that nobody has combined before, right? There's this idea by Steven Johnson of uh, the adjacent possible. Every time that a new technology or a new innovation is introduced into the world, the adjacent possible expands, and then in the adjacent possible is where you can find new ideas because you're combining this with this and this other thing that are new that never have been combined together. So It was a combination of that and, again, a passion for protecting and conserving forests.
1: I feel like I'm in the 2008 uh, Apple conference where Steve Jobs talks about the iPhone. Have you seen (laughs) the video? I might have, yes. He's, like, he, you know, he, he, like, goes up on stage, and he says, like, we're presenting, like, a breakthrough device, and it's, like, uh, a mobile phone, an internet browser, right. and a personal computer, and, right? And the same thing, kind of, like, you were talking about, like, the adjacent possible. Yes, So yes. Did, um, did Pajama invent any of these technologies or, or maybe said differently are you inventing on top of these technologies or is like the long pole in the tent everyone just needs to deploy petromos technology to protect their forests and as part of like project development
0: i would say that we are inventing a lot of things on a weekly basis um and at the same time we are standing on the shoulders of giants because there are many technologies that we're using that we have not invented and in fact when you develop machine learning, you use a lot of open source tools developed by Google and Facebook and other corporations. Um, and, but what, what we're inventing is a combination of these technologies applied to protocols for the issuance of forest carbon credits, which requires combining all these technologies with the best available science and with the best available financial, uh, knowledge of uh, carbon markets and um and, and again you know we're borrowing ideas and innovations and technologies from all these worlds finance economics uh, ecology and technology
1: one of the things i'm wondering is what does a forest project do in terms of reducing climate and and helping prevent climate change
0: yeah so there are different types of projects Uh, one type of project is reforestation and that means planting trees, right? And in order to plant trees, you need to secure the land, you need to prepare the soil, you need to create saplings and seedlings on nurseries, and then you need to hire people to do the tree planting. And then you need to maintain that forest over many, many years because growing a forest is not just planting trees, but it's, it's, it's taking care for, for the ecosystem. The second type of project is avoiding deforestation so you have uh access or 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 ownership of a standing old growth forest like in the amazon rainforest that is under threat of deforestation either illegal deforestation or the fact that the 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 land can be developed to do agriculture and then what you do is you commit to not the forest and you uh, do activities to prevent illegal deforestation, which in many cases entails engaging the local communities and helping them find local jobs that produce income from protecting the forest, as opposed to from extracting from the forest. And and it also entails uh, engaging with local authorities and rangers to ensure that there is a monitoring of the potential illegal deforestation. That is the reality in the Amazon rainforest. And then a third type of project, this was called improved forest management, which is uh, very common in North America. And what it is is for forest uh, or forest plantations where harvesting for timber is allowed, the owner of the land commits to harvest less and harvest less often. And, and therefore, the trees will grow bigger. And for that additional uh, growth and that additional carbon, the project get credited so in this case it's about uh in a way uh, not doing the, the the harvesting that you have done or that is business as usual in the region in order to let the forest grow grow bigger these are three types of projects and and there are more types of projects that can receive carbon credits but but each of these projects have different activities different economic uh structures but all of them provide climate benefits and and what the key is to be able to estimate and calculate the exact amount of co2 that these projects are help uh, absorb and is it pajama's job to proliferate those number of projects in the world that's right yes we need more of these three things we need to protect existing forest we need to restore forests that have been lost and we need to uh be more gentle with existing forest and, and harvest a lot less aggressively.
1: Where does Pachama play in the forest carbon credit life cycle? And, and like, where does it start? Where does Pachama come in? Where does it end? Like who's purchasing
0: it? Yeah. So today we are a, uh, platform that companies can use to source and purchase high quality, highly credible forest carbon credits, that represent removal or avoidance of emissions somewhere else on the planet and then companies can use them to achieve their climate and sustainability goals. In parallel, we are connecting with all these forest projects that we analyze and monitor using these technologies that I mentioned and uh, helping them get access to more income so that they can continue expanding their work. And now we have started focusing on helping bring new projects to life. Uh, starting a reforestation or restoration project requires a lot of initial investment. Today, you know, it's not easy to obtain financing to start that, and then be able to obtain carbon credits. So we're trying to close that financing gap, again using the best available data and the, this this end-to-end market participation that we have because we're connected with the corporations. want to achieve net zero and we're connected with a landowner that is willing to plant trees instead of doing soybean and and the technology and the data is what allow us to close that gap should it be
1: corporations that are the ones purchasing the climate credits at at the end of the life cycle or should it be governments or individuals all the above i think all the above
0: yes today and something that is inspiring and amazing to see, uh, to me is that all these corporations are voluntarily saying, you know what, we're going to invest millions of dollars on protecting and restoring nature to offset what the emissions that we put in the atmosphere in the past. And, and, and we have to applaud them. And, and it's incredible that they, 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 they're doing it, but we also need governments to themselves, uh, their own emissions and to set regulations so that the, uh, corporations operating on their jurisdictions also upset their emissions and individuals too have the ability to go on and upset their emissions. Um, at the end of the day, all of the above are, um, are responsible for the CO2 that we have in the atmosphere. So everybody can take responsibility. And as we were saying before, uh, institutions are, you know, these collective fictions that we're all part of, right. Uh, organizations are made of people. So, yeah. One of the things I,
1: I, I've thought about, we talked about with, um, another platform Ren, which is a carbon offset platform mm-hmm. as well. Is Pachama going to be the name brand of the carbon offset? Like, am I going to be purchasing like a Pachama offset, or is the brand and the loyalty going to fall in the project itself or the verifier? And and maybe if you can help me understand what the difference is, is Pachama a verifier as well, or are they a mm-hmm. way to like help um, you know Vera Gold Standard whoever mm-hmm. verify their own carbon offsets?
0: You mm-hmm. will take an ecosystem. Uh, we're not going to be a monolithic uh, company. Um, but I do think that I hope that Pachama becomes a brand that, uh, is synonymous with high trust, high quality. And that if you're buying a carbon credit with the Pachama stamp, uh, that means, uh, a true, uh, carbon removed from the atmosphere, ton of carbon removed from the atmosphere with co-benefits for local communities and biodiversity. I do really hope that, and we do verify and monitor every single project using the aforementioned technologies and satellite data and ai but every project that we have is also generally certified by uh, the traditional verification bodies such as vera uh, gold standard climate action reserve Um, and i I see in the future uh, a place for a lot of different uh verification bodies a lot of different protocols and methodologies um, and and, and again, we're going to continue focusing on, on ensuring the quality, uh, and, and, and bringing more really high quality projects that are, um, powered by these technologies and that provide, uh, a level of transparency that give everyone trust.
1: What keeps you up at night in terms of like Pachama's existence,
0: mm-hmm. you know, building an awesome team and making them work well together. Uh, again, you know, companies are collective uh, fictions, so uh, we need to create a powerful collective fiction here. It's just so uh, awesome to do it around an important mission, because every single one who comes and wants to join Pachama comes driven by the mission. Uh, you know i had people saying like this was my dream job uh since i was a kid i wanted to work on protecting a restoring forest uh other people come and say look i work 10 years at a big corporation in tech uh and but i really want to pivot my career to this so it's just awesome to to have that but but then you know coordinating a lot of people is complex you know so you need systems and and, and you need trust and you need um processes. And, and, you know, so I'm putting a lot of my thinking into that, you know, how do I create a great culture on the company? How do I create systems that enable innovation and that allow us to move fast and also that to create a, a, a workspace that is fun and rewarding and healthy and in which people can show up as they are and have fun and make friends and, uh, have a good time.
1: Yeah, one of the things I was thinking about as doing my research is how is the community different from your first startup to your second startup to Pachama, and is there also a because because every I assume everyone is mission aligned, mm-hmm. um, but then like are you getting a specific type of person? Is there mm-hmm. like a lack of diversity in that standpoint, or still like even even though everyone's mission aligned, people are coming from like totally different perspectives and are growing the collective, uh, you know, intellectualism that is Pachama.
0: Well, I would say in fact that this company is way more diverse than my previous ones. And then, you know, I would say the average startup for sure. We have people from all, all walks of life, uh, from, I think in nine different countries and nationalities, um, different perspectives, different skill sets, different educations. And, uh, but we all share the same passion, passion for protecting and restoring nature. Um, and optimism, uh, and, integrity and, um, kindness, like, you know, there, there are certain values that of course we have been selecting for on the team. Um, but lots of diversity. What is the,
1: uh, what is the future hold for Pachama you know, next year, the next five years, the next mm-hmm. 20 years?
0: Hopefully a lot of growth, uh, uh even though it does cost me a lot of vertigo to think that the company has to continue exponentially growing. Um, but if we grow and if we succeed, that means that we are achieving our mission and that is good news for the planet. So, yeah, I mean, I hope that we, we, we become a really big company because of that. And I also hope that we blaze the trail for others, you know, and, and I think that we we're kind of doing it too, showing that you can start a company with a planet first mission and raise venture capital and attract incredible engineering talent and have a good business as well. So yeah, I hope that we can inspire that. Where does Pachama make
1: money in the system? And then, um, as a technology startup, why did you choose? Because everyone is so mission aligned, I feel like, you know, could it have been a nonprofit? And why did you choose to go the capitalism market based method? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, we make money by uh, having a small fee on the transactions that we help facilitate on the marketplace. That's how we make money, the same way that Airbnb, uh, Uber, or other marketplaces out there make money. Why we decided to do it as a for-profit and not as a non-profit. You know, I think that in order to achieve this particular uh, mission, I needed to be able to hire, uh, incredibly talented people coming from the best technology companies in the world that pay really high salaries. And in order to be able to pay really high salaries, the economics of a non-profit probably were not going to work. Uh, and I needed to have the economics of a corporation, um, be able to raise venture capital, be able to have a business that, that drives a profit. And I frankly think that, you know, uh, again, I, I I think that the corporation, uh, has proven to be such an effective vehicle for transformation in the world. Right. Again, two examples I just mentioned, Airbnb and Uber, these are companies that in a few years completely changed the world, right? You can land into any city in the world and hail a a car and then go and stay in a local person's house. That is something that's amazing. And it was achieved by, uh, by two corporations that, um, that, 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 you know, made it work. And I think in a similar way, we, we can produce global change. Uh, imagine in the future again: tens of thousands of forests growing around the world, uh, supported by tens of thousands of companies and individuals around the world, um, and and that makes for a good company in terms of business model, but also for a positive change in the world that we want to see. Amazing! I have just a few quick questions uh,
1: before we wrap up since founding a company are you a, a climate tech company are you more self-conscious of carbon emitting activities you have or have you made any changes in your personal life
0: yes um, I guess you know there was this moment after my last company in which i I decided to go on a, a personal uh, self-discovery journey uh, that led me to discover meditation and 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 lots of different things in my life that led me to then align my life and my work with my purpose. And so, as part of all that personal journey, yes, I re my life in, you know, and I, I look at myself in the mirror uh, and I said, like, well, I am responsible for this, right? Um, and I have made a lot of changes. I became a vegetarian, which for an Argentinian, you might know, is like it's like taking away vodka from a Russian taking away meat from an Argentinian, but actually I'm a very happy vegetarian. Now I gotta tell you, uh, you, you don't miss a lot. Um, I leased an electric car and now I drive electric, electric. I moved to the forest. I, and I try to live, you know, uh, primarily, you know, on the forest. I, I, I grow a garden with my girlfriend and we try to grow our own vegetables and, um, i buy less frankly i, I decide decided to consume a lot less uh, it's so easy to click on a button and, and, and get a box in the uh, you know door of your house in this country i, I decide decided to buy a lot less live a simpler life um, and the most challenging one for me is uh flying because my family is in argentina and i want to go visit them once a year at least so that's my biggest footprint um, and I really hope that we get electric airplanes or other ways to travel intercontinentally, uh, because I want to see my family, but yeah.
1: Do you have a favorite forest and are you worried about any forest more than others?
0: Yes. My two favorite forests are, uh, the Junga forest of Argentina, where I'm from and the redwood forest of California, where I live today. And the forest that I'm most worried about is the Amazon rainforest, because it's the one that is under the biggest pressure uh, from deforestation and is uh, our most important carbon sink, our most important biodiversity hotspot in the entire planet. From Pachama
1: standpoint, is there anything that you can do or that you try and leverage Pachama to protect the Amazon
0: rainforest? Yes, we have a few projects in the Amazon rainforest in uh, Brazil, Peru and Colombia. And we are developing our first uh, origination project in Brazil. And we hope to expand as much as we can in the Amazon rainforest. Two final questions. One, uh, like, if people are interested in
1: working in Pachama, what would you say to them? And two, uh, how can people get in touch with you?
0: Yeah, um, reach out. Uh, show us your passion and show us your abilities and your, your skills. Um, and, uh, and come to us if you're truly driven by this mission. Uh, unfortunately, we are not going to be able to hire everyone that comes our way because we're still a small team. Um, but by all means, please come and, uh, and, and, and if it's not us, go and look for another climate tech company or climate uh, company that, that you can put your efforts on. Uh, if people want to
1: reach out, is there best way to get in touch with you?
0: Yeah, so uh, on the website, Pachama, uh, and I receive, you know, all the emails that, that, that get sent to the website still. Uh, and then on Twitter, um, I'm the Gill and on uh, LinkedIn, you can also connect me. Thank you so much, Diego. I had a great time. Thank you, Nathan.
1: Thanks again to Diego for joining us today. You can find Diego and Pachama on Twitter at Pachama Inc. And you can email them through their contact page at Pachama.com. I'd love to hear what you thought about the episode. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at the life or by emailing Nathan at the Life.com. As a reminder, everything I say is my own opinion and is no way reflective of my employer. It's also not investment advice or anything else that can get me sued. This episode was produced by Tawny Lovett. The original music was composed by Mitch Bernstein from Climb On. Thanks again for listening. If you like what you hear, please consider leaving a review wherever you get your podcasts. We're almost at 50. You could be the 50th. Until next week, I'm Nathan Svee, and this is The Net Zero Life.